Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, I speak with Professor Selena Bartlett. Selena is a group leader in translational neuroscience at the Translational Research Institute and a research capacity building professor in the School of Clinical Sciences, the Faculty of Health at the Queensland University of Technology. Notably, Professor Bartlett has been awarded the Laurie Austin Award for her contributions to neuroscience by the Australian Neuroscience Society back in 2019. She is also the CEO and founder of MIGFIT, a startup company that spun out of her research lab that is focused on brain training for resilience, fitness, and to reduce addiction to and, and obesity. Sorry, I'll start that again. A startup company spun out of a research lab that is focused on brain training for resilience, fitness, and to reduce addiction and obesity. She has won the Outstanding Achievement Award and the Biotech Research Award and was an ambassador for women in technology. Professor Bartlett recently launched three books to raise awareness about brain health and to make neuroscience and neuroplasticity actionable. Additionally, she has presented at TEDx about brain fitness and neuroplasticity, and she is all about trying to understand brain health and making sure that people are aware of brain health. And she joins me now, Professor Selena Bartlett. Thanks very much for joining me on GovComs. Uh, thank you, David. I'm really excited to be here. Looking forward to sharing a bit about the brain with you. To <laughs> maybe it's it's an interesting thing, isn't it? The brain because it's such a critical organ, um, but often perhaps not given the uh, the attention that that it deserves. Does what's your view on on the brain? Do people know about it? Do they think about it? Do they talk about it, or is it just something that we just roll on past? Not not concerned about it too much because we just don't don't have to understand it. Perhaps well, it, it, it's that's a really big question and something that I've come to see is exactly the problem. Is it is the most important organ in the body, but it's been left kind of untrained in some way. So I've been studying it for thirty years now and. And I've been down all those paths that you're talking about as well, um, me, myself, personally. And I've come to realise that having this conversation, the one that we're having together right now, is probably the most critical piece, is we need to start opening up the conversation about brain health and fitness and, and helping everyone understand that they have agency over their brain. And I think this is the piece that I've come to learn is missing um, I got into neuroplasticity after 25 years of studying the brain. I was developing drugs um, for mental illness in America and in Australia. And then I kind of met some of the godfathers in neuroplasticity. So I guess what we're here to talk about today, and I hope that we can uh, open this conversation in a really healthy way, uh, and that's to 
let everyone know that the brain's incredibly strong and resilient and has a lot of untapped potential that people won't realise that they have capacity to get ownership over some aspects of their brain. And uh, I want to open the conversation away from mental health and illness into brain health and fitness and strength. And there's lots of reasons we need to do that because mental health has become stigmatised and people people don't want to talk about it for that reason. And but but as you've invited me onto your podcast, you can see that when we start to talk about brain health and fitness, it invites strength and resilience, and everyone wants that. Mm. So, just then to open that up, what should people know about their brain, and what can they do to make sure that it is strong and it's functioning and it's 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 working to the best of its ability? I think the number one thing that I discovered why we get stuck, why we get stressed and why we stop moving forward in our life is because the main thing that the brain does, and it's really good at that, is it processes fear, anxiety and stress at a much higher rate than it, than it does pleasure and happiness. So uh, consequently, because of that, it's, it does that for a reason and we can talk about that later. It's an evolutionary strong reason. But because of that, it means that as humans, we have to consciously drive in uh, positive um, messages, um, health and fitness. That we have to consciously drive that in as we get older, particularly. And um, and that was really kind of shocking to me to discover after I was trying to probe the brain down to its bits and pieces for a really long period of time. But that's the piece that people don't really understand, in my view. So if you're if you're worried about things, if you're anxious about things that's going to create problems for you because it the brain reacts much more to negative than positive. Absolutely. And so there's a, there's a highway in the brain and it goes from the bottom near the brain stem and, it's, and that's where MIGFIT came from, um, the amygdala area. It's wired to this part in the brain called the nucleus accumbens in terms of technical terms. But this highway goes straight up to the human newest part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. That's where we do our rational thinking. That's where we, we are creative. But when we're stressed, that, that highway in the brain doesn't exist. It's shut down. So you'll hear people talk about COVID fog or, you know, not being able to think clearly. That's because the brain is basically stressed out. And so the brain doesn't like that, so it shuts down our capacity to sit back and think clearly. And does that then, if it's shutting down, that then stops the ability to be happy stops the ability to enjoy things does it get in the way of that if you if you do have too much anxiety and too much um fear yes the brain is not able to see a wider lens you know you're not able to step back and look for opportunities you're only looking and scanning for threats Mm. so the brain's main job is to do that is to scan for threats and and I, I highlight this because the COVID-19 pandemic situation and, and t- in terms of communication, we're, we've got minute to hourly to daily threats being thrown at us like we've never had before. It used to be bad, but now with case number reporting and everything around the world, from a brain health perspective, it, it, it's an immediate threat all the time. And so the brain why COVID fog exists is because people are not trained in how to prevent this from happening to themselves. And so the brain is a machine and it's processing that subconsciously. 
So that's just how the brain functions, basically. And so with all this bad news, how much of an impact do our mobile devices and the platforms that we engage with through social media, how much does that create a greater problem for our brain? <laughs> yes, well, so if you did a, if you did a uh, correlational study between the upswing in mental health um, disorders and the advent of social media and technology, we're seeing younger and younger reporting of mental health issues in terms of ages. So, for instance, the other day someone was telling me for the first time ever they had a six-year-old reporting into an eating disorders facility, for example. So that gives you an idea of the impact that social media is having on our brain and its capacity to kind of really drive in at a really fast rate negative information, much faster than we've ever had before because once upon a time news was curated at some level, wasn't it? And now it's really working out how to get the clickbait and do it quickly. And the thing that the brain always pays attention to first is the most negative story. And um, people that run the news media know this really, really well. So let's just go back to that before we sort of dive a little bit further into it. You were saying that, you know, the, the backstory is obviously that, you know, as we evolved um, that the brain evolved in a particular way and it was trained to look for threats. Can you can you give us that backstory in terms of how we've evolved and, and why that's the way that the brain evolved? So uh, in terms of evolution, you've heard of um, Darwinian survival of the fitness um, and then you've also heard of, I don't know if, you, if the audience would have heard of Lamarckian theory of evolution, which means how the environment impacts the way we evolve. So because the main job for us is really just to stay alive, the main operational function of the brain is to keep you alive. So that part, which is really old, and those circuits that are driving what I'm telling you about in terms of how your brain works, I could point back in history to cats or all the way back to, you know, really early stages of bacteria and mushrooms that contain some of the machinery that our brain contains for doing this job, which is to keep us alive. That's how old that circuitry is. And that's why without being trained on a daily basis, because humans can do that compared to animals, it will be the driver of the show of our life. That part of the brain drives our life. And that's why I came out of my lab about six years ago to teach people this message because mostly, one, I was unaware, and then, two, I find most people are unaware. And without awareness of who's driving the show, how do we make any changes, do you know what I mean, to be happy, healthy and strong? Okay. So then if I have this, you know, you've now told us this, I now have an awareness that I have some agency over my brain and how it works what can I do? What can I physically do or what can I, you know, how can I train my brain so that I can be more resilient um, and I can have greater brain fitness and which will help me with those, uh, say, the bad habits that I might have picked up? <laughs> oh, well, I, would, I wouldn't call them bad habits. I'd just call them habits that people have. And so, so what we've got to do, there's a number of different 
things you can do and some things resonate with some people and some don't but from a let's just start let's just talk about the brain and think about David when you woke up this morning what were the first three things that you did Oh, okay. Picked <laughs> picked up my phone, um, which is my alarm clock as well. But uh, picked up my phone, picked up my exercise gear, uh, walked out of the room, and then it was raining. So I sat down and I looked at my mobile phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't go and do my exercise this morning. So, um, so at least you have exercise gear in that three things, which is like that's. That's kind of almost thirty percent better than many people. Yeah. Um, so let, let me just let, let's just talk about the brain here. And I'd like to I like having this conversation with you because people can relate to stories more than me just saying do this. Okay. So that's how what that's what you described as how I used to be, and and that's because I knew I no idea that my brain needs to be trained. And so the brain's main job is whatever you pay attention to, it will take you to. So that top human part of the brain, its main job is just to narrow in on what you're paying attention to. So that first thing when you open your eyes and what you put your eyes on, that brain is going to go straight to that and for the rest of the day it's going to find evidence to support whatever you were thinking or feeling at that moment that you woke up in the morning. That's how powerful the brain is. So instead of instead of doom scrolling as they like to call it now, have you heard of that term? No, what's that? Oh, doom scrolling is this term where um, people are like, when can I travel again? Where? What are the case numbers in which countries and where? And they're just going through all their feeds all the time just looking for information that's telling them that the world's about to end. Well, that's what's big, you know, yeah, right. end up being. And so it's a whole term now and because so many people are doing it. It's a global phenomenon. But that goes back to your fear and anxiety thing, doesn't it? Like if you're loaded up down that side of the spectrum, your the brain is obviously going to go looking for that stuff and the more you can find, it's just going to keep spinning, isn't it? Like it's just going to make the wheel go faster. So this is, this is a great example actually. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. So uh, this is how powerful the brain is and it will go down in a spiral rapidly when you're feeding it that kind of information. And that's, and that's just to demonstrate what a machine it is. So equally, if we want to have brain health and fitness, we have to consciously drive in the opposite, which is looking out the window and thinking of three things you're grateful for or looking at the sunrise, for example, as the first couple of minutes to spend when you start your day, mm-hmm. for example. Okay. And that sounds, it sounds too simple, doesn't it, that that could have such a big impact. And, yes, it, what got wired in over millions of years of our history and human history is not going to be wired out overnight by waking up and thinking three things you're grateful for in the first instant. But it is the first step of becoming aware that you have agency over what goes into your brain. And, in fact, what I've discovered in the last few years is that if you don't get into that agency and take control, the brain is always going to be the boss because that's what it's designed to do, is to keep you safe from threats. So if you're feeding your brain morning threats, it's going to make you freeze, right, lock down, get, you know, be afraid, be anxious, mm. think only bad things. And and the other amazing thing about the brain is that, ne- that when you're doom scrolling like that, 
it becomes catastrophic in your thinking. Mm. What I mean by that, that that one thing about, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to go overseas next year to see my family can instantly move into a whole lot of things about your life that you're unhappy about. Right. It'll go back in history to find them and pull them back. That's just how the that's just how the circuits in the brain work. So, yeah, I feel like I'm on the couch. But anyway, I actually <laughs> it's just, and I'm happy to put myself there because I'm still there too. I'm just a human being. Um, but it's it's not about that. And that's this is the important thing that to. In this conversation, David, for your audience and for everyone, the most important thing is we aren't on the couch. This is our life and we all deserve to be happy, healthy and strong. And it's just the brain. It's just like an organ. It's just like a muscle in your arm. Yeah. It's a circuit and it's not about you, David. It's about the brain. But And this is and this is the second really important point. Yeah. Do you want to? Go on. Why, why having brain-healthy conversations changes the way you think about everything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because with mental health and, and illness, we stigmatised it so people did feel like they are on the couch and therefore we should sweep it under the carpet because, because we shouldn't talk about those things because that's awful. But, but why wouldn't you want to know that you could drive your health and fitness because when you're doing that, you're actually then creating environments in your home and at your workplace that are conducive for the same conversations. And then this circle of influence that you're driving, David, through this podcast and then all of your audience is having this ripple effect where people now feel happy to talk about this in a really good way. And we should be, shouldn't we? Because our country cannot afford the crisis that's unfolding in terms of our mental health and, and illness that's that's already spiking, but it's, you know, by mid next year, unless people get actionable on these small little things they can do, our country won't be able to afford what's about to happen. Yeah, and you think of the pain and the misery that is go- that, that goes with that, you know, it's not just the, 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 the illness yeah. for, for, for the actual person, well, it is for the person itself, but then the ripple effects that go out from there, it's, you know, it, as you yeah. say, it's catastrophic. Yeah, and can I just um, can I just step back for one second here to tell the audience, which I, I, I've been avoiding the subject, but we now understand what drives mental health and illness, and it's to do with our genetics, which we inherit because of advances in brain science. We now know that, and this is all in the last ten years. We now have brain imaging technology where we can actually show this to people. And also we now know that early life experiences in our environment shape our brain architecture. So these little pieces I'm telling you, David, are different to, for everyone. So everyone in the audience is different. Their brain's wired differently. So, so these little strategies we're talking about are just really that. They're just simple understanding of everyone's brain is quite different. So what you mentioned then about why, why I'm saying our country can't afford it is because if we don't drive a prevention strategy right now, um, when, if we're only going to wait for treatments, for people to hit treatment, it's like treating someone that's had five heart attacks. Yeah. Whereas if we, if we do prevention by having these open conversations and helping people get agency, a little bit of agency back into their life about this in a healthy, happy way, then we're going to actually help Australia, um, you know, 
flatten the curve on this because our country will never see anything like this, and I know that. And I knew this was going to happen in March when we went into social isolation um, because that's the worst thing anything can happen for a human being um, in terms of, you know, why people are more stressed out now and why are they now doom scrolling is because of this lack of training that happened during the lockdown period, for example. So do you think that, and it's interesting you say that, and because it is this whole notion of mental health, mental health services, that's to to treat somebody who is already in a, uh, has a, has a problem as opposed to this preventative strategy that you're talking about. Do you think that there's a, a wider awareness amongst the mental health community that there is this need for prevention as opposed to cure? So it's funny you should say that we tried to start this conversation in the last few months with a bunch of different people that are CEOs of companies um, and, and the mental health commissioner was a part of that and they've been trying to drive these messages and spe- speaking of government communications, um, they've got this, this strategic plan called Shifting Minds is Everyone's Business. This is in Queensland and they also had and uh, they're trying to put out on the ABC, you know, connect with people, all of these things to do. So they, they, they've got kind of this prevention strategy in one sense happening. But in the other sense, um, people aren't really aware of what they're not aware of about how this brain works. So, you know, just between you and me, like if you can wake up tomorrow and do two, you know, three things differently and then keep repeating that and repeating it. it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You've got to keep doing it every day. And then you starting to notice the difference in your brain health and fitness in terms of your body. Then that's how we get this conversation started. So in terms of the go- at government level, I've been trying to drive this brain health conversation for about five years now. Uh, and it's around this principle of neuroscience and neuroplasticity. It's this inspirational understanding that the brain can change forever across the lifespan. And this has really been happening. It's really an advance, I would say, in how you would think about mental health actually being brain health and fitness. And this advance, we need to drive this across the public sector somehow. Mm. And I can't speak highly enough of how important this what you just mentioned is and how, how, how do we do that, David? Because you have experience with government communications, I don't. But the one thing I do have experience with is that if we can help people get this brain health and fitness message, it might go just a little way to stop them hitting the treatment and illness phase, for example. Mm. Well, I like, I like your start anyway. I like, the, I like the way that you've been able to, you know, introduce notions, uh, you know, understandable notions of training for resilience, training for fitness, you know, like look at all of the gymnasiums and all the rest of it. We spend an awful amount of time and effort and energy to get the body right. I think the same principle obviously applies to the brain. So I think that's a really good start because it's something that people can understand. But then it's giving people those simple cues, which again, I think you've done again around that three things to be grateful for or meditation or being absolutely aware that the first thing that you grab a hold of is going to have a big impact on your day. So maybe be wary of what you pick up first and go and, you know, spend 20 minutes doing meditation before you go and do your exercise, before you then go and turn your devices on. Because I know in my circumstances, I don't, I, I don't, I feel quite um, positive and I get up and do my exercise, but I'm, I'm such an infivore. I just love information and I love learning things and I love podcasting 
And so I go for these wonderful walks every morning through Red Hill here in Canberra and I'm out amongst the, you know, the hills and, 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 the, and the trees and the grass and the kangaroos and the beautiful views, but I'm listening to information that I find valuable. Um, but I find that it energises me rather than uh, does anything bad to me. Um, but what would your advice be? Would it be turn the turn the uh, turn the device off? Take you know, don't listen to the music, don't listen to the podcast. No. Just just be quiet. No, I. What you're doing is an ex- excellent example of putting your brain in a good space because that resonates for you, and you're listening to things that are driving your brain forward. Yeah, you're not to to things that are going to stress you out. For example, no, they excite um, me. They these conversations yeah. excite me. That's good, and I find that I'm listening to people who are who know more about things than I do and they've got access to information that I don't have that I find inspiring in many ways. Yeah. And I've learned a huge amount through podcasts. Um, absolutely. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to do if it's uplifting your life. Um, binge watching stuff on Netflix that's quite um, not good for you. It, it During a period like this, a, a pandemic like this, can't do anything good for you in the long run. But what if? But what if I like watching that show? That that show. Like I, I've binge watched a few series. Uh, what was the most one? Um, like I like that Narcos series early, and I just watched the whole thing, and I just and it, it was pretty gruesome in lots of ways. But I, I really enjoyed it. So was that a bad thing for me? No, I think if if you honestly are in. Drawing something, there's nothing absolutely that's driving in something positive to your life. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when it becomes a stage where it's an addiction where you can't leave the couch and you end up putting on weight, drinking too much, and overeating as a consequence because yeah. your brain's into being stressed out and you're not even aware that it's stressed out. Because, can we just talk quickly? Secondly, Walking out in nature is fabulous because it's keeping your brain, it's, it's widening the lens of your brain to the outside world. Um, when we get sad, lonely and depressed, out the lens shrinks down to all we can think about is all the things that are wrong about us. So when you're walking outside in nature, I, that's a great tip if you're feeling a bit stressed actually is just to walk outside in nature any time during the day. will widen the lens for your brain to be a bit to be to calm you also mentioned meditation for 20 minutes in the morning you don't even need to go that far you can just spend the first one to three minutes taking deep breath and looking outside that also has an amazing impact so people don't think oh my god i've got to meditate now on top of 20 minutes uh, on top of going out to do my exercise i don't have the time so it's it's not that it's just how you're opening the brain to the world when you first wake it can be as little as one minute to start off with it's those little things. The second thing is most people have no awareness of how whether they're stressed out or not um, because it's in the subconscious part of the brain. So another way to become aware of this is to pay attention to what you're eating and drinking. So if you're um, binging on sugar or high-fat food or drinking too much uh, in the afternoon, that's a really good indicator that your brain's really stressed out. Now, why do I say that is because stress, on the other side of stress, is reward. The brain doesn't like too much stress, so it makes you seek rewards to hit hit it up with dopamine to balance the stress in the brain. So if you're not, so that's another way to become more aware of um, whether you are stressed out or whether you're locked down or frozen or heading down this pathway of not feeling good. Mm. That's a great way of working that out as well. 
Okay. So, so they're, the, they're, they're little tips and tricks to, first of all, become aware of your brain because how else can we do that because it's hidden away, you can't ever see it. So that's, that's another important aspect of where we're moving in this conversation is, and that's the agency piece, isn't it? We need to get help people um, get back some of the agency in their life around their brain health in some sense. So uh, I think that that's, you know, those things that you just said, right? So open up, make sure that you're not going, you know, you're not immediately distracted by something. So do the breathing, uh, that reflection about three things that you're grateful for, spending a bit of time just sort of opening up the, the aperture as you're talking about, opening up the brain, getting out, doing a bit of exercise so, you know, absolutely going well, then how do, how do I sustain good health during the day? How do I stop myself lapsing back into to bad habits? Because it's interesting you mentioned there about eating and drinking. I couldn't sort of reflect on that and think, yeah, you know, again, that habit of, you know, I'm going to reward myself because that's going to make me feel better by just, you know, eating and and drinking, you know, more than I should because I don't actually need it. I just do it because I've decided to do it. So how, yeah, how do we get that, away from that during the day and into, into the afternoon and early evening? Okay, so I'm going to give you a second trick. So start your morning well and over time what you'll notice, especially if you keep up your exercise, is if you start the morning well, the brain's becoming from a, from a physical connections inside the brain is actually becoming less stressed. And that's why stress is the causal factor behind everything. It's, and we call it stress, but it's really multiple generations of wiring of the brain. So that's why I say that it's really the first place. It's the causal place to start. And with daily practice, what you'll see is eventually you won't want to overeat and drink as much because you're getting your stress trained and managed, which is why I'm so, um, so kind of really into this area because that's really the causal factor. But, okay, so in the beginning, the first 28 days, if you're trying to drive this new way of being brain health and fit and becoming aware of it, it's going to take some time, right, because this is, this is centuries of wiring we're talking about. I mean, the eating's there for a really good purpose. It's to, it's to t- tame this stress in your brain. Um, so... The second thing through the day, I'm going to give you a big trick, and this is where podcasting comes in too. Many people online have probably or may not have heard of Wim Hof, um, and he has an amazing uh, training platform. But he, what he discovered was he just jumped in an icy lake and it stopped his <laughs> brain from being stressed out. And so what I do to help people get there without having to do that is just to prepare um, – Take a bowl out of the free. Uh, take a bowl and put some ice cubes in the freezer and put some water in, and then put your hand in that icy water. And I know you're going to laugh at me, but it has so many amazing um, flow-on effects. So it really does stop the brain from being stressed out. Um, and in the beginning, some people find it quite painful, but then when you breathe through it, what you'll discover is that you have this amazing capacity to keep going with it. So it's demonstrating that you can train your brain. And Wim Hof did this and he ended up winning. He, he ended up being able to sit in ice for two hours. He's won millions of, not millions, but tens of world records. And he's also trained and been scientifically analysed. Um, he's demonstrated he could train his brain stem, which we believed you couldn't train. 
and he's also trained lots of people around the world. So why I say that, it's, it's another technique for helping to get the brain into a good direction. Um, so it also, in terms of COVID-19, why this works is because you're also training your immune system. And what we know for sure is you can reduce COVID-19 symptoms by being healthy and fit and by, and by stimulating your immune system. So it has all of these other flow-on benefits as well. And I talk a lot about that in some of my videos and on my podcast um, called Thriving Minds as well. Um, but, you know, don't we all want a thriving mind and don't we want to be able to access our internal capacity for healing? So I just want to put that out there. I am a neuroscientist. I have developed drugs. And I still do some of that because it's beneficial. But there's also this hidden untapped potential of the brain where it has this amazing capacity to heal itself. It has all the things it needs, but we have we as humans have this amazing capacity to drive that ourselves. And we just haven't really been shown it very well, in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of podcasts and other um, information out there that people are trying to do that. But we need to do it from a neuroscience brain imaging perspective now and show people, because um, we can now and we couldn't before, just how amazing the brain is and how magnificent it is when it's trained. And I think all Australians deserve to be happy, healthy and strong, and this information can help them do that. So before we go, how long have I got to put my hand in icy water for to retrain my brain? So you just start. Um, so it de- it just depends. You have to try it. I wish we w- wish I had that with you because then I could be doing it for your audience. Um, but basically, for some people, it can be as little as ten seconds in the beginning, and then you just you're going to put. It depends on you, but basically, just say you put your hand in ice, icy water, see how it feels, and then when you start to feel the pain, breathe through the pain, recognize it's not really pain; it's just the brain thinking it is to make you pull out from that water that's what it's designed to do and then once you do the deep breathing through it and then you'll see over time you'll be able to go longer and longer and then you'll recognize that you're actually training your brain to be able to stay there what about having and, cold and, showers yes cold, so that's thing? another way to yeah another way to start at the end of a hot shower or a warm shower just put on cold water yeah. on the back of your neck now, footballers right. have been using ice therapy for a long time, as you would know, yeah. um, um, because it, so reason why it reduces inflammation and inflammation is the source of pain from injury. Yeah. And the same for the brain. When we overeat the wrong types of food and alcohol, it actually increases inflammation in our body. And so when we're doing this, this, these strategies, we're also reducing inflammation which then allows us to have better physical health as well as mental health. I know it's simple, but um, it's always these simple but not easy to implement things because who really wants to put their hands in icy water, really? Um, but, But who wants to get up and think of three things they're grateful for or go exercising every morning? Not many people either because we're kind of not doing that anymore because we've got really sedentary because of technology and our jobs and other things like that. So it's just these simple but not easy to implement things. But once you once you do this, David, what you'll find and your audience, the amazing thing is, what did I say earlier? The brain is powerful. So when you start to drive in this new habit, you won't eventually you won't have to think about doing it. Just like you automatically feel good about having sugar. 
uh, or whatever your thing is for everyone out there to feel good, what you'll discover is that soon you'll have an automatic habit of doing something that's more healthy for you that becomes your automatic feel-good habit. So that's just how the brain is being retrained, if you if you can see what I mean. Over, um, it's just the way the brain's wired. It's it's physical and connection. And when you're starting in this new kind of micro habits, if you like to call it, you're then using the power of the brain to drive you to be healthy. Excellent. And well, that, I'm yeah. I'm desperate. I'm going to take on this 28 day challenge, and I am going to see how fit my brain can be because I've got problems. <laughs> I've got plenty of problems that I need to fix. But, again, it's, uh, but, but I think and the audience will take away, I think, a lot of what you've said as, you know, it's, it's obviously grounded in science. It's, it's evidence-based advice and it's simple and it's actionable. And I think that, again, goes back to when you were saying before, how do you get this out? How do you get this story rolling? I think by giving that kind of advice where people, well, I can actually do that. Now, I mightn't like it, but I can do it and see what happens off the back of it. And it sounds like the uh, the promise of greater resilience and, uh, you know, reduction to addictions and other things is such a, a great prize that um, I'm sure many people will try it. Yeah, and that would, what would be great is be at your festival, which I believe is in... 17 days? Uh, no, it's the 17th of November, yeah. I think that's a great time for us to regroup and find out what you've learnt in that 17 days because that's just enough to just enough to see a little bit of a change. Um, you can, And the way to do it is to measure your waistline and see if you get, because that's the first thing to go as you get stress under control is because you'll eat less of the foods that drive your waistline. So that's one way to determine how well it's going from a physical perspective. And um, and then most people want to give up around the 17-day mark because they're not seeing enough change. And that's just when the brain's just about to form a new habit in terms of the wiring in the brain. All right. So, well, so I'll, I'll, I'll get off the back of this and I'll make sure that tonight or whenever I'll make that measurement and we'll see how we uh, – we land in 17 days, see where we go, and perhaps through the festival we'll be able to um, uh, promote this. And obviously you're going to be uh, speaking at the festival, which is great, and I think this is a, this is a really important conversation for us to have uh, so as that uh, people can understand um, a little bit more about the brain but also I think as it relates to their own welfare um, because working in communications can be quite stressful um, there's never enough time. There are, there's always too much information to process. There are, you know, always different ideas that are coming forward to try to, you know, communicate uh, something. So yeah, I think it'll be a, a great advice. So so thanks for coming on to the podcast today. I'm very grateful for that, and very grateful also that you will be featuring on the GovComs Festival. And for those of you who are listening today, who haven't registered as yet. Um, as I just said to the professor, uh, November the 17th, as part of the OECD's Government Aftershock Global Dialogue, Content Group is hosting a 24-hour 
Government Communications Festival. So what we're doing is really looking at government communications and and how we can be much more effective uh, in government communication at a time of such radical change driven by digital technology. So we're starting in Australia at 10am on the 17th of November. Then we're following the sun around the world and picking up all sorts of insights from different people uh, around the world. And I'm really looking forward to to that. the uh, Griffith University in Queensland is providing 24 hours worth of education. So if you're in, in the government communications business and you're looking for skills, that's the place to come. Uh, we're going to be rolling out 24 hours of podcasts back to back on another stage. Uh, and as I say, the main stage, but there will also be a number of breakout sessions where we drill down into specific areas such as neuroscience as well. So uh, And I know that, uh, as I say, the professor will be involved in discussions around neuroscience as it relates to government communication. But thanks again for coming on to the program today, Professor Selena Bartlett. All the best um, with your campaign there to really get people to understand this notion of brain training for resilience, for fitness, for better health and and welfare. So uh, uh, congratulations and good luck with that particular program. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. Why don't you take the 28-day challenge, okay? Why do I have to do it by myself? Why don't you you get on there with me as well to see how you go and you measure your waist tonight and let's come back at the beginning of the GovComs Festival just to see how well we've done or not done. Um, What's going to stop us? What's going to stop us doing that, um, Professor, in terms of not not sticking to it. What are the things that we've got to watch for that are that are going to stop that commitment? Uh, basically, the brain. Uh, so <laughs> that lazy, yeah. dirty lizard brain that is just sitting there oh, going, "Come on, this is. To, don't worry about it." Yeah, it likes to do everything that. Yeah, you know, it's a habit. Yeah, you know, and you don't wire out an old habit that got wired in over probably hundreds of years. You don't wire it out overnight. And so the problem is that it's it, – that's why I like to say just pick one little thing, one little thing, one thing for one minute, that's it, And but just repeat it every day for 28 days. Don't make it complicated. And uh, and that and that's how you'll do it because it will be simple. Now, it's simple, not easy because the brain likes to save energy. So that's why you need to be a group of people doing it together. That's always helpful because you keep each other accountable. And what you'll find is you'll forget – probably on day three without some reminders or someone there coaching you in some sense. And um, so that's the main reason. The brain's really old um, and it likes to keep us stuck in the past because it saves energy, that's all. Okay, look out, brain. I'm coming for you. Next 28 days, I'll get on top of it. So, again, thank you to Professor Selena Bartlett and thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. I'll be back at the same time next week with another wonderful guest here on the GovComs podcast. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.